Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you're very welcome to The Tonight Show. Vaccination rollout thrown into chaos as HSE immunisation clinics using the AstraZeneca vaccine have been cancelled for the rest of the week. And Johnson & Johnson say they are going to delay the rollout of their vaccine in Europe. Minister for Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth, Roderick O'Gorman, joins us to discuss the impact of the pandemic on children in Ireland, as well as child and adolescent psychotherapist Dr Coleman Nocter. Finnegal TD, Emer Higgins, Social Democrat TD, Holly Cairns and GP Dr Nina Burns will assess the impact these delays are going to have on our rollout programme in Ireland. And later, what do the delays mean for tourism and staycations this summer? CEO of Fulcher Ireland, Paul Kelly, joins us with his verdict on the season ahead. Do get in touch on Twitter, our hashtag tonight, VMTV. Well, it's been another day of chaos and confusion over the vaccination programme with AstraZeneca clinics cancelled for the rest of the week and Johnson & Johnson delaying their European rollout. Meanwhile, Health Minister Stephen Donnelly has promised a new vaccine rollout plan and has also confirmed that his department has paused taking bookings at mandatory hotel quarantine to ensure capacity. A little earlier, he spoke with our political correspondent, Gavin Riley. The Department of Health today is uh, operating on a precautionary principle. Uh, we are getting close to the capacity of the system, uh, particularly within the context of so many countries having been added. So the system's only 18 days old, uh, and in, in, uh, in that time we've gone from 33 countries up to over 70 countries, including very big countries like France, Italy, the United States and Canada. So there's a lot of new capacity coming online on Monday. We'll be moving up from about 650 to about 960 rooms. And then again, the following Monday, we'll be moving up a significant amount again, up to about 1,300 rooms. We have to make sure that people, when they are arriving, have a room. So the carriers should only be letting people on the flights when they can show proof of a pre-flight PCR, of a passenger locator form and of a room booked in hotel quarantining. One of the problems we have is that there's a small number of carriers uh, who don't appear to be doing that. I know that Minister Ryan has been engaged and his department engaged with the carriers to make sure that happens. But what we need to make sure is that there is capacity within the system for these so-called walk-ins who don't have a booking. Well, I'm joined now by Minister for Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth, Roderick O'Gorman, to discuss this and the impact the pandemic has had on our children. Minister, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks very much. Uh, I'm yeah. going to start with the Minister for Health and what he said this evening about mandatory hotel quarantine. So just to be clear for people, if you are somebody who was hoping to come into Ireland from one of the 71 countries 
on the mandatory hotel quarantine list between now and next Monday and you haven't pre-booked a room, you're not coming into Ireland? Well, the um, pre-booking system isn't going to be available. It's been suspended for the next number of days um, because there has been, a, we, we've almost reached the, the, the existing capacity. I think there's about 650 rooms in, in capacity at the moment. And uh, just Minister Donny has, 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 as he stated there, he, um, the, 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 the sense is that we, that we need to um, limit further people entering. While we increase capacity, there'll be an additional 300 rooms coming on, on stream next Monday, an additional 200 rooms coming on stream the, the, the Monday after that. So just in the interim, there, there's a suspension of the, the booking facility. But you'll accept this is potentially going to cause real problems for people who were hoping to come in perhaps Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, into Ireland and now find, unless they can manage to get on a flight and be a, you know, a walk-in, as he described it, they can't come into the country. Look, it, it, it's, it's a difficulty. Uh, I think we'll continue to review the situation. Obviously, there's people leaving the system as their their, their quarantine uh, ends or indeed as their, their second uh, test comes in negative. So as the system uh, uh, unblocks and, and, and people leave the system as well, we'll be able to continue to examine this. And, and if we, we find that the, the, the capacity is, is existing in the system again, we'll be able to open up the booking system subsequently. But is it not questionable, uh, Minister, that as Stephen Donnelly said, the system's only 18 days old and clearly the government hasn't predicted correctly the capacity that's going to be needed. I think, you know, last week we responded to advice from uh, NEFET in terms of the addition of 16 new countries onto the list and we responded quickly to that advice. We're also in the, the process of scaling up the capacity of the system and we had a system, as I say, we have, we've 300 next week, 200 additional the following week. Um, I think we acted quickly in terms of adding the additional countries. Yeah, they were added it, on Friday and was to be introduced the following Thursday, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Yeah, so, there yeah. were, you know, there was a, almost a week's but in, there in, in, where in, in, additional capacity could have been added. I suppose in terms of the co the, the commissioning of, of, of entire hotels, there there obviously has been a, 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 an element of a number of days lag be, between being fully available. And of course, there is the issue that the uh, level of walk-ins was not what we expected. And Minister uh, Donnelly outlined that there is an issue with a small number of airlines. I think we, we accept the majority of the airlines are advising passengers and checking for the, uh, the, the mandatory booking forms. But even where a small number of, of of carriers aren't, uh, I suppose, playing their part in this national effort to, to, to implement this system. It has created a, a, a short-term difficulty. But I think with the addition of that extra capacity mm. over the next two weeks, we'll be able to address that. But you'd have to admit, Minister, between this, between all of the legal challenges, between the questions coming from Simon Harris this morning about whether or not somebody who's fully vaccinated should be in mandatory hotel quarantine at all, between the people escaping, between those refusing to go in to mandatory quarantine for a system that's three weeks old, it has been farcical at times. You well, would admit that. I think it's a, it's a new system. Uh, it, it's, it's a new system in terms of how long it's been with us. It's also a new system in terms of what we're doing. We've never done something like this before. And, you know, the, that provision you mentioned there for appeals, uh, it's essential that's there. It's right that people are entitled to, to, to challenge the, the, the public health assessment about whether they need to be quarantined or not. And I think the fact people are using, uh, using the appeal system is uh, indicative of a, of a system that tries to balance the public health needs with the individual rights um, as well. But that's just one of 
a number of problems that has faced the system since it was it's, it's, it's a new it's it's a new system that's that in, took three that, months that's, that's, from that, January to the end of March to that, get up and running. But as I say, it's a new system that is bedding down. And look, even the issues that that, that Minister Harris raised today in, in in terms of people who've been who've received vaccines, that's been looked at in an EU level. This idea of of the the, the green certificate, but I think that will only work at, at an EU wide level. We need to be able to have confidence that the document being produced by someone coming from another country is one that you know clearly. Uh, does indicate that they've received their their, vac their full vaccination. So just to be clear, you think somebody who's fully vaccinated against COVID-19 won't be able to um, you know, escape, for want of a better word, mandatory hotel quarantine until we have a European system in place? We won't be able to organise exceptions here in Ireland. I think, I, I think the... Um I think in, in the medium term, the key way to address this is at an EU-wide level where there's a clear EU-wide system where people can recognise what's what's happening in other member states. And I think when we introduce that, that could actually significantly reduce the need to rely on quarantine system, particularly as more and more uh, EU citizens in member states get the full vaccination. Um, speaking about getting the full vaccination, obviously further disappointment this evening because the Johnson & Johnson rollout has been paused given concerns about a class that are currently being investigated. Um, the Tonish has said this morning we're not going to reach the 180,000 vaccine target of this week. Are we going to reach the target for, for April, which was 860,000? Or do we, are to we assume that those targets are currently gone? Well, look, I suppose today we're dealing with two elements. We're dealing with the, the pause on, on the Johnson & Johnson, and we're also dealing with the change of advice in, as, as regards AstraZeneca. Um, I can absolutely understand, particularly for the people today and this week who've had their appointments cancelled, who were about to receive an AstraZeneca vaccination. I can understand how incredibly frustrating that is for them. I think we need to give the um, HSC, the Department of Health and, and Effort, a number of days to recalibrate how they are issuing the vaccines, making sure that uh, those for whom... But are those the, targets the, gone? Sorry, Minister. Would I, you I, say I, realistically? I, 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 I can't say now because uh, I think particularly in terms of AstraZeneca, they can be used. It's just who they are used for. And I think it is important to remember that we are not entirely reliant on one vaccine like some states are. And the vast, well, the considerable majority of our vaccines are the Pfizer uh, vaccination, right. which doesn't have any, it doesn't have these issues. And obviously we also have Moderna in there as well. Okay. So we have options that other states uh, I want have. to move to your own brief. You are, of course, the Minister uh, for Children. Um, and I wanted to uh, go to our Skype now because we're joined by child and adolescent psychotherapist, uh, Dr. Coleman Noctor. Uh, doctor, it's not going to surprise any of the parents watching uh, the Tonight Show tonight to hear that children have been impacted negatively by this pandemic. What is your experience been and how concerned are you? Yeah, I think the, the question I've always been asked is, is what's the impact going to be for children? My answer was always it depends how long it's going on for. And I think it has gone on for an awful long time now. We're a year into it. And probably what we're seeing is the cumulative effects of that for children. Uh, there's a few groups that have been particularly affected by it. I think younger children who are learning the world through this very abnormal way, like learning how to communicate through masks and social distancing. I've a young lad myself who's a junior infant last year, senior infant this year, and he'll be probably heading into first class now at about nine months of school. So um, all of those things are gonna take its toll. And then you have obviously the transition group from secondary, primary to secondary, and they particularly have struggled, especially the first years this year who, maybe missed finishing out school in primary school and maybe 
only finding their straps then around Christmas time and had another break again. Um, and then there's that older teen, young adult group, which I think are, are very kind of disenfranchised, to be honest about it. They, the first year in college, they've missed out on Debs. They've missed out on these kind of core issues that really are, are kind of formative milestones. And, and many of them are wooden shot windows, which they're missing out on as well. And yeah, I mean, I, th I think we're seeing quite a lot more so in the latter parts of the last 12 months of deflation, anxiety, worry, and a bit of fatalism, actually, which is kind of worrying. And in terms of those older children who are coming into your clinic, how is that deflation manifesting itself? Well, I think from the point of view, say, for example, young people who maybe like we can easily say, look, at Debs is a night out and get over yourself. But the Debs is probably something they've been looking forward to for three or four years and the idea that that might ha not happen. But they're getting very despairing. And a lot of young people are saying, you know, if it's online college next year, I don't I think I'll defer and I don't think I'll go and do it. And um, I, I think there's a like if young people are kind of looking at jobs in the hotel and catering industry or, you know, if you wanted to be a pilot or something, the, 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 the hopelessness and despair of those industries having been hit so hard by all of this is kind of uh, causing a, a kind of re-evaluation, I think. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the hopelessness is the, is the issue. And I think, you know, with vaccine rollouts and all these things, they're so important to us as a, as a group and as a collective community that each of these disappointments, they kind of hit more into that hopelessness and fatalism. And, uh, and we, we hold a lot of hope in the, the summer being what it was promised. Um, and I think the more disappointment, the more it can negatively affect that optimism. Is there something or anything that this government could be doing now to address some of these long-term issues? I mean, I fully appreciate the need for all of the things that the government have had to do. There's a real safety measure that we have to be really conscious of. Um, and we can't be reckless around that. But things like children's sport, uh, capacity to mix, uh, we have to do a cost benefit analysis and see what is the, the mental health cost uh, and analysis in, in the physical sense as well and, and makes decisions based on, I think, considering the psychological welfare of children. So I think we have to focus on well-being. We have to focus on young people making social connections and really supporting them because the, the, what we know is we oftentimes don't see the, the issues during the break. It's when we reboard. Like in, in mental health services, we don't see the huge referrals over the summer period. You see it in September, October, November. You see it in January, February. And it's actually the next 12 months where I think uh, most of the resources will have to be put in place to support children as they kind of re-engage with the world in a more meaningful way. I really appreciate your time this evening. We leave it there. Uh, Dr. Coleman Nocter, thanks for joining us. Uh, Minister, I can't imagine anything that um, Dr. Nocter has said will come as a surprise to you. Yeah, and I suppose I'm just particularly struck coming from from what I, my former job was a, as a lecturer in, in in a university, and you know the excitement you'd feel on in, in September every year, fresh as week. And I know from talking to, to colleagues and even from uh, people I know who have started university or, or third level this year, it just it just hasn't uh, it, it hasn't been the same. I think uh, as as uh, Dr. Nocter reflected across all areas of of from young people to, to children to babies, there has been a very significant impact from uh, from COVID. Within my own department, we actually, from the very start of the pandemic, we were undertaking research to monitor what was happening and to better inform our own responses. So last summer, we did some work with spunout.ie, for example, the, the mental health charity. We also did some work with the, the Growing Up in Ireland longitudinal yep. study just to influence and to, to better inform our own responses. And I saw that. And I saw you also launched a report last July with the ESRI that was looking yeah. at the short term and the long 
long-term impacts. Mm -hmm. And it recognised yeah, that yeah. this was having a negative mm -hmm. impact on children and that it would need to be addressed. So how has your department addressed it between last July yeah. and last summer when you um, engaged in all that research? And now in yeah. April of this year. Well, it's supposed to be a number of, of ways. I suppose the the, the knowledge that the uh, impact was going to be particularly hard on children from disadvantaged backgrounds or with special educational needs very much influenced our, our push in last September to get schools back open and, and keep them open until December. And it was only with the exceptional situation we saw in January that we saw the closure of schools. But even in January, within my own department, we kept childcare facilities open, particularly for the most vulnerable children. And that was, again, conscious of the fact that those were children who needed those those really uh, intensive supports. Again, within my own department in the budget last year, we secured a very significant uh, additional investment in Tusla, an extra 61 million. As you know, Tusla is the frontline agency for some of the most vulnerable children and families in our society. And we also secured a significant additional investment into youth services, which have been incredibly active in supporting young people over the last 12 months. But you heard um, Dr Noctor saying, look, there's a real mental health cost here. Mm -hmm. And yet we see this evening that there's eight and a half thousand young people still waiting for primary care psychological service in this country. Eight and a half thousand mm -hmm. young people. Over look, half of those for over a year. And look, I, we're I not starting from a good place, yeah, are we? I, and look, I, I think we're all very conscious of the impact that COVID has had on the wider public health services and how the, the focus on COVID has increased uh, waiting lists in other areas. And I think as we move through this summer, as we uh, implement the vaccination programme and as we kind of mm -hmm. get back to an element of normality, certainly within my department and our engagement with, with the Department of Health and, and the Department of Education, we'll continue to advocate for measures that specifically target young people, whether it's those backlogs in terms of, uh, of, of, of mental health supports or the continued support, kind of the earlier intervention element in but the education system. there's nothing particular at the moment, is there? There's no particular plan in place. Well, I think, I look, we're, we're very conscious that I suppose we're going into the next budgetary cycle. We're also going, uh, we're, we're coming out of, you know, a, a particularly focused element over the last number of months of driving down the, the, the COVID figures. But look, we have continued to, as I say, support vulnerable children to, to, through TUSLA, support youth services who are very good in that early, again, early intervention and particularly so many youth services in this country focused in areas of disadvantage. Just very briefly, is it your hope that third level students um, as Minister for Youth will be able to return to campus this September? Well, look, I, I think everyone would like to see that happen if it's safe and we'll always be, be guided by public health uh, guidance um, where there's a number of pilot projects been undertaken with the use of antigen testing at the moment, which may provide a, a means of, of kind of giving security in large settings like that, where you may have uh, asymptomatic uh, individuals. So there's antigen testing pilots been done in, in, in third level, primary, secondary and in childcare settings as well. I think the results of those will very much inform uh, the degree to which we can get back to normality across education in, in, in the, in the new year, sorry, in, in uh, September, yeah. Uh, the Mother and Baby Home Commission uh, report also came under your brief. Um, were you surprised or disappointed or how did you feel yesterday when you saw that, as I'm sure you did, Philomena Lee, who many of our viewers will be familiar with, who is one of the survivors of those uh, Mother and Baby Homes, and four other women have felt compelled to take a judicial review proceedings mm. against some of the findings in that report, which they say are inaccurate 
and don't reflect the testimony that they give to the Commission. Yeah. How do you feel about that as Minister? Well, look, I, I, I'm aware a number of cases, and I, I don't want to get into to, to specific cases, obviously. I, I am aware a number of cases have been taken. Uh, I'm also aware, uh, having met with many survivors, both before and after the publication of the report, there is real anger among some survivors about some of the findings of that, 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 that the, the, the Commission report. I'm also conscious that within the report, there are some very important findings, findings that show um, 9,000 uh, babies and children died in these institutions because of the failure of the congregations and because of the failure of the state, and also that the state knew what was happening and didn't act. And I think I, I have to bear those findings in mind as well in terms of the reason the state apologised for what happened was because that report showed the state failed. And when I go and engage with the religious congregations, it will be on the basis of the findings in that report that I can ask but them to contribute to a redress scheme. Could, would you be able to say that the report, as it stands, is an accurate and truthful reflection of the accounts given by those survivors? Well, I've always been very clear. I, I, I believe the, the, the stories that survivors have told me. Which they and say I, aren't necessarily accurately portrayed in the report. And I would believe what's in the confidential committee report as well, which I think is the most significant part of that. And again, I, I understand that survivors, uh, many survivors don't feel that their own experiences are fully reflected in the report. And do you agree with but, them? But, but, well, uh, well I, I believe them when, when they say that's not what they experienced in these institutions. But I think it's really important to remember that the Commission report is not the end of how we address what happened in institutions in Ireland in the 20th century. It is a, it is a starting off point and our government has put forward 22 specific actions in terms of information and tracing legislation so people can get that, the birth cert, that really important early life information, a redress scheme and those are the elements that will actually benefit survivors and, and which survivors have been asking me to, to progress uh, ever, ever since I took on this role. Okay, well, let's look at those then. The redress yeah. scheme, there's to be a report, I understand, from your department by the yeah, end of this month. By the end of this month. So yeah. when do you expect that redress scheme to be up and running? I would hope we will hopefully be able to, to bring the, 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 the necessary legislation uh, within the, second, within the, the, the autumn term in, into, into the Oireachtas. The autumn term, the so autumn it'll be term. September, October of yeah, this year. Yeah, and in terms then of the adoption that. and the tracing The information bill? and tracing legislation, I would hope to have that, the heads of bill published uh, in the next number of weeks. We would then bring it for pre-legislative scrutiny again, hopefully in, in, in May, with a view to getting into the Oireachtas again, hopefully before the summer would be... You'd like uh, to see that before uh, the summer recess? Have it in the doll before the summer. We mightn't get it fully passed before the summer, but, and I think there's strong, um, there's strong cross-party desire to get that particular piece of legislation moving as quickly as possible. It's a real priority for myself, for the government, for the Taoiseach, uh, and the Attorney-General has been hugely helpful in really prioritising getting those heads of bill written. Uh, just briefly, in terms of some of those religious institutions, have they agreed to contribute to this redress scheme? Uh, all the religious institutions have agreed to meet with me and we're going to, once we have uh, finished the process we spoke about earlier on, that interdepartmental group, once that process is finished, I'll engage with those religious institutions in terms of... To contribute. I, 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 I'm not going to prejudge the outcomes of those meetings. I've asked them that they will consider their apology, a contribution to the redress scheme, but also the provision of documents, of, of materials, of records as well, which for many survivors are absolutely crucial. I uh, just want to go to your own party 
uh, the Green Party because they've been in uh, the news, uh, on the radio, in the papers a lot over the last couple of weeks and perhaps for the wrong reasons because we have the Shannon elections coming up next week and we know that your chairperson, Hazel Chu, will be running in those Shannon elections but not as a Green, as an independent. Did you support her nomination? Uh, no, I didn't. I um, I'm very conscious that we're part of a government. Uh, I support a, a programme for government, which I think is very ambitious and contains many key Green Party policies. And I want to see that implemented. And by supporting the government candidates in this Shannon election, I believe I, uh, I, I and the party are better placed to ensure we get our, our, our policies implemented. Look, the, the last number of weeks have been difficult in the party. It's been a spat. Um, but I think importantly, at our, our national executive meeting last Saturday, the national executive came together and brought a, a unanimously uh, agreed way forward and I'm absolutely supportive of that. But were you disappointed with her that it became so divisive that it was a spat and ultimately she has said uh, on radio yesterday, speaking to Claire Byrne, she hasn't a hope in hell of winning this uh, Senate seat? Well, look, you know, I've been very much focused on the good things the party has been able to achieve in terms of Eamon Ryan's climate legislation in, in my own department, uh, the white paper and direct provision, a huge priority for the party, the work Catherine Martin is doing in, in supporting the, the arts and culture sector through, through COVID. So whereas I know, obviously, when there's a spat, the media attention goes to that. In reality, all of us as ministers, as TDs, as senators are very much working towards implementing the programme for government and, and those really important key Green Party wins that we achieved in that. And which the members gave us a mandate to go into government to achieve. So you're not disappointed in her? I'm, look, I, I, look I, I've spoken to Hazel a, a, about this. I'd rather this has, has, wouldn't have happened, but I think we, we've got a, a, a way forward now. All right, we leave it there. Uh, Minister Roger O'Gorman, thanks so much for coming in thanks, to us uh, this evening. And after the break, GP Dr Nina Burns will be here to discuss what the vaccine delays meant for her and all of her patients that contacted her clinic today. Lots more after this break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. Now, with the vaccine rollout programme in Ireland facing further delays, I'm joined by Fine Gael TD, Emer Higgins, Social Democrat TD, Holly Cairns, and Dublin-based GP via Skype, Dr Nina Burns. Uh, doctor, I'm going to go to you first, and thank you for joining us this evening. What kind of experiences were you having in your surgery today? What kind of calls were you receiving from your patients about the vaccine rollout? 
So we actually were vaccinating this morning um, in our Monkstown practice. So we were doing the last first doses for our over 70s. And actually, because we're a small practice, we had slightly more vaccines than we needed. So we managed to do some of cohort four today, which were the extremely high risk patients. Um, all of those patients today got Pfizer because they were excess over 70s vaccines that we had. So they were all absolutely delighted mm -hmm. to be vaccinated. Um, we did have some calls in, you know, people who were disappointed. Um, a very good friend of mine actually was due to be vaccinated yesterday and she was extremely disappointed that it was cancelled. Um, and really, they were, I suppose, just wondering when they're going to get vaccinated. And also, my all my admin staff have had one dose of AstraZeneca. They're all very keen to get their second dose due the beginning of May. And I suppose there's just that limbo as to what's happening. And unfortunately, we just weren't able to answer their questions today. So not so much asking questions about the vaccine, more of them asking questions about when am I going to get vaccinated, actually. And that was actually going to be my next question, Doctor, is what's being communicated to you as a GP administering the vaccine that you can then, you know, communicate on to your patients? So we don't have any more information than has been in the press, to be honest. Um, there is, we have an, a weekly webinar with the ICGP that will be tomorrow evening. So hopefully we'll get some more information there. But I guess this is just evolving in real time. And, um, you know, we're seeing what everyone else is seeing. NIAC is still making decisions. The HSE have to act on the decisions of NIAC. So, you know, probably everyone in the country will hear it the same time we do. And, and unfortunately, that's the way things have been happening. And do any of your patients have concerns about getting the AstraZeneca vaccine, whether that's the second dose or indeed a first dose? So, yeah, I mean, you, you do have people asking, even, even before what happened this week, you know, people would ask, should they be concerned about clots? And I suppose what I was saying to people and what I would still say is when they pause and try and decide what to do, it's, it's a bit like a health and safety check. You know, when you had the first role of um, trials for these vaccines, there were less than 100,000 people in the trials. So if you think the instance of clot is in about one in 100,000 or one in 250,000, depending on where you look, they weren't going to pick these clots up in the small trials. So when we roll it out to millions of people, these rare side effects are going to show. And it is appropriate to stop, look at this, try and understand it, and make the correct decision to move on. So anyone who thinks we're rolling this too fast, that we're acting too fast with vaccines, I think what's being done this week, both in Europe and the US, shows that we're being extremely careful with these vaccines, probably even more careful than we need to be. And I'm really hopeful that when the evidence comes in, that they will actually be able to roll these vaccines out to a broader cohort of people, because we'll be able to try and pinpoint what the risk is and know the people we shouldn't give it to. I just want to put your point to our panel, um, Dr Nina, but we'll keep you uh, on the line. Emer, isn't that a really difficult position for GPs to be in? They're at the front line here, aren't they? They're at the cold face, you know, not the politicians, having to deal with patients who were due to be vaccinated, who are confused about this vaccine, and really they're able to say, we don't know any more than you do. No, it, it's absolutely frustrating for everybody, for GPs, for people who have gotten their first dose of AstraZeneca, for people who were scheduled to get their vaccines this week. 
It's not where any of us want to be. Um, and it is undoubtedly a setback, but we can't let that set our entire vaccine rollout programme back. What we need to do is take stock where we're at. We need to get, get, get everybody together who's involved in the vaccine rollout plan and readjust it. And that's exactly what's happening at the moment. And I know it's so frustrating for, for Dr. Nina and her colleagues that they don't have that information yet. But the Minister for Health has given assurances that we will have that information by the end of the week. I think there's going to be possibly more information tomorrow after Cabinet as well for people. And I would ask people to, to bear with us until we work through this. Um, it's something that's happening right across the globe, not just here in Ireland. Um, and we have to adjust our plans accordingly. And that's what's happening right now. Holly Kearns, do you think that's acceptable just to say, look, you have to bear with us. You have to give us a bit of time. It is another change to the vaccine rollout that perhaps the government didn't foresee. In fairness, this is the kind of unforeseeable change to the vaccine programme, but it has caused considerable concern because for the second quarter of this year, for example, the AstraZeneca vaccine was to account for 813,000 of those um, and the Johnson & Johnson won 600, or just less than 605,000. So understandably, there is concern. And yes, this is an unforeseeable thing that the government faced. But, you know, and I think they're right to err on the side of caution in relation to this. But one thing that I think would be helpful from the EMA would be a clear recommendation. So it's confusing for people and it doesn't instill confidence that in the UK, if you're over 30, you can get it. And here, if you're over 60, you can get it. But there is things that we could do to instill confidence. So the minister coming out at the end of this week, like that simply isn't good enough, you know. Um, for the, the most vaccines we've administered in a week is 129,000. But to reach the targets that they're aiming for, we need to be more about 250 to 300,000. Then last week we had Peter Reid coming out to say we need to employ uh, 3.5 thousand vaccinators. Now we all knew this was coming, so why would we wait until now? And then unbelievably, we're asking GPs to provide their junior cert results. You know, how is this going to work? This doesn't instill confidence. In addition to that, community pharmacists will play a really crucial role in rolling out a vaccine at this scale. And they've yet to be consulted with properly. And many of them have, are yet to be vaccinated. Um, Let me just, in that, to that, just to answer some of those um, points that you've raised there. Yeah, so a lot of people are already at, at the moment even undergoing training for vaccination rollouts. And I think that's really critical. And, and Holly's right in what she said. We have had time to prepare for this and preparation is underway and it is in place. And I suppose you, you have to just as well acknowledge where we are and where we are because of science and because of the preparation, because of the work of, of doctors like Dr. Nina. I mean, this time last year, we weren't even talking about vaccines. A year later, we have multiple vaccines at our fingertips. And that's why it's so important that AstraZeneca hasn't completely ripped apart any plans. It's 20% of our vaccine rollout between now and the end of June. And it can still be given to over half a million people who are waiting doses. But I was 60s. listening to um, the Labour leader, Alan Kelly, today, and he said, look, we accept, you know, that this is an ever-evolving situation. However, you know, the government should have been able to look at what happened in the UK with AstraZeneca and the changes that had to be made there. There were changes in Belgium, there were changes in France. You know, that we did actually have some indication that there would be changes made to the recommendation to AstraZeneca and there should have been work going on behind the scenes over the last week to prepare for this potentially happening. And there, Was ha that happening? And there has been, of course there has been. And it's important as well to note that different countries are doing it differently. So the UK, it's been under 30s, it's under 60s here. So that's a significant change between what's happening in the UK and what's happening in Ireland from an AstraZeneca perspective. And that's why it's so important, I suppose, that we look at the advice that we're getting from EMEA, that we're from uh, Emma, from the European Medical Agency, and what we're getting from NEFIT, and most importantly, what we're getting from NIAC. Holly, it's critical that we listen yeah. to the experts. Sorry, just to, to say that we couldn't have prepared for this a year ago in relation to vaccines is quite frankly ridiculous. We've been talking about vaccines since the beginning 
of this pandemic and the hope of them being, you know, developed. And we knew that this was happening quickly. We knew that the vaccination programme was going to be rolled out. That is simply and quite literally not good enough. It's like saying today, oh, all of a sudden, accidentally, the hotels that are set up for mandatory hotel quarantining are full. So How could you not be prepared for that? So it's quite frankly ridiculous. So 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 let's let's go back to your first point. A year ago, you're right. There was talk of vaccines, and we you weren't. Just said and that we there wasn't a second ago. I said that we we weren't in a situation where we had vaccines. We now have. We have multiple vaccines, and that's because we've had investments in, and we've trusted in science. We've trusted in the medics, and that's exactly what we so need to the do. So onto the mandatory hotel quarantine, the hotels now suddenly but, full. Ju- but just just to go back, colleague. We've trusted in the medics. We've trusted in the experts, and that's what we need to do. And I have to say, I, I feel like that's what the government is doing here. And I don't know what your party's position is on AstraZeneca. I don't know what your party's position is on the new advice that we've gotten. But I think it is the responsible thing to do to, okay. to respond appropriately. Okay, I just want to go back to, to, um, to, to, go back to Dr. Nina Burns there. Doctor, do you feel that GPs are going to be able to catch up if the Johnson Johnson is delayed, but you know comes at a later stage? And if, as I think the Minister for Health said today, AstraZeneca is eventually reprofiled or is that going to cause um, difficulties for you further down the line? Well, so, I mean, it's causing logistic difficulties now because we were all expecting an AstraZeneca delivery some week this month that we would then use to vaccinate the bulk of cohort four and seven. So we don't know how we're vaccinating the rest of cohort four and seven now, many of whom are under the age of 60. Um, so we need to find out quite quickly because, as I said, we did some cohort four today. Most practices will start doing those in, within this month. Um, so we need information now. We can't really wait a few weeks. If they suddenly change then back to AstraZeneca, then there'll be that mix of having second doses of one vaccine and first doses of another. Um, so there are a lot of things that we need to know and, and that we do need to know quite quickly. So I, I think really if if they have planned the GPs do a certain cohort, we need to have assurances that we're going to get the vaccines because we are spending time pulling files, we're ringing patients, we're, you know, we're identifying our at-risk patients. My admin team have done so much work on this. We're ready to go. We need the vaccines to keep going. And you know, patients, to see some of those cohort four people come in today, those really high-risk people, they are so delighted to get it. And I, I don't think they're going to be very happy if there's any further delays. Um, the truth of this is, isn't it, Emer, that the longer there's delays and problems with the vaccinations, the more likely it is that our reopening, which we'd hoped would happen you know, further in May, is going to have to be delayed. Isn't that the case? Well, hopefully not. I mean, it, it, a number of factors are at play here. What's happening in our hospitals, what's happening with our vaccination rollout plan, and also what's happening with cases. And obviously, the more people we vaccinate and that the, the more we stretch those targets, the more we reach those targets, the easier it becomes for us to be able to reopen society. And that, that's all of our shared goal, absolutely. That's why it's so important that the talks that are happening tonight, that cabinet meeting tomorrow, that are adjusting those plans, are doing it as quickly as possible to give give people that, that certainty as to when their vaccine will come and to allow us to plan for the reopening of society. Are you concerned that this is going to impact the reopening schedule, Holly? Of course, and you know, the vaccine rollout is a really important part of this, but well, what I and the Social Democrats have been calling for for a long time is additional measures like effective uh, testing and tracing, fully resourced public health doctors mm-hmm. and proper mandatory hotel quarantining, which to come back to this care, the fact that we find out today that the hotels are full Like for one, it's never been easier to find an empty hotel in this country. Mm. It's 150,000 empty hotel rooms 
at the moment and a sector struggling and the government saying, oh, we couldn't have foreseen this. We added 16 countries to the list a week ago and now all of a sudden the hotels are full. So we're just going to accept that for a little while until we address it. Like that kind of thing is no longer acceptable. The lack of preparation and foresight is the recurring theme here. And people are suffering as a result. We can't underestimate the level of it as well. Speaking about hotels there, okay. speaking about... Uh, for example, restrictions in maternity hospitals have been an ongoing thing. And I have asked so many people about this that I've now come to the actual conclusion that it's not that it's a, an added risk because you're already, you know, a close contact of the person who brings you to the hospital. It simply hasn't been looked okay. at because all of I this is going so badly wrong. And that's not fair. Very briefly, what let Emer answer that question of mandatory hotel quarantine. It does feel like a bit of a joke this evening that we've reached capacity. Well, listen, it's not ideal, absolutely. Um, and I suppose the minister, he has said he's, he's working to resolve this. this time, two weeks' time, we're going to have double the capacity. We'll have additional capacity on Monday. The system will be back up and running and operational very quickly. And that's really important because it is, as Holly said, it is a key part of the response. OK, we're going to have to leave it there. But my thanks, as always, to Dr Nina Burns, Emer Higgins and Holly Cairns are staying with us. And after the break, Fulcher Ireland CEO Paul Kelly on his hopes for a tourist season this summer. Welcome back. Now with the summer season fast approaching but level five restrictions remaining in place, what does this mean for our summer holidays? Well, Fine Gael's Emer Higgins and Social Democrat TD Holly Cairns are still with us. But first, to Fulcher Ireland's CEO Paul Kelly, who joins us via Skype. Uh, good evening to you, Paul. I'm going to start with those international visitors that I know are so important to the tourism sector here, particularly those in the US and the UK. When are you hoping, realistically, to welcome them back. Yeah, look, it's 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 too early, Kira, really, to say that uh, at this stage. You know, in terms of it's obviously public health comes first, and everyone in the tourism industry wants to get that international market back as soon as it's safe to do so. Uh, but we need to be guided by public health. Before COVID struck, the international uh, visitor economy accounted for about seventy percent of the total tourism economy, so a huge part. Of, uh, of of the overall tourism picture, and today, oh, today, and over the next couple of days, we're we're running uh, our Mehel program, which is where we have about 480 Irish industry engaging with over 200 overseas buyers on virtual platforms to promote all of their products and all of their their offerings to those over critical overseas buyers. But that's primarily with a view to next year and, and beyond. So it's it's just too early yet to, to know when that can happen, but important that we that we keep our, our brand and our reputation strong uh, with, with those overseas buyers. But would you be hopeful, Paul, that if some of those international tourists have been fully vaccinated by this summer, that they would be allowed to come in, skip mandatory hotel quarantine and take advantage of the holiday season here? Uh, you, you know, as I say, look, we've got to be guided by public health. I'm, I'm not a health expert, so, you know, in terms of I know there's variants of concern uh, that's, that, that, that will still be an issue with vaccination, etc. So I think, it, you know, in terms of it's, there's, there's a whole myriad of factors that the government needs to take into account. I know that, that the government are fully aware of, you know, the, the 260,000 people that worked in tourism before COVID struck and are, are keen, as, as we are, of course, to get as many of those people back to work as quickly as possible. Um, but, it, but what will be most important, obviously, for everyone is that 
you know, is that the public health situation is protected and that's safe and that's going to be, you know, key, key, the key to getting the right, uh, you know, sustained recovery. Well then, Paul, what would your advice be to our viewers this evening who are thinking about booking a staycation uh, this summer? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, it's certainly shaping up as, as if the, the domestic market is going to be the most important part of the tourism economy this year. And, uh, and you know, we are seeing that people are beginning to are beginning to book now and doing a lot of research around uh, around their, their, their staycation breaks. Uh, you know, I know that the all of the providers in, in our, the Irish tourism industry are providing, you know, full flexibility, etc. So, you know, in terms of if, if people do book and they can't travel because of public, they cannot travel because of public health, then, you know, flexibility will be provided. So I would certainly be, be encouraging people to uh, certainly if you're looking at trying to get away in the summer, you know, now is the time to get out there and, and, and make those bookings, knowing that obviously if you can't because of public health, then, you know, dates can be moved and things like that. And but, uh, Paul, but I think, for you, you know, is summer June, July and August or just July and August? Uh, well, look. I mean, it's it's you know, in terms of obviously the, the 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 you know the later people probably leave it. You know, in terms of there might be uh, you know a little bit more certainty around, around that. But uh, you know, in terms of you know the, the the government have talked about you know midsummer has been potentially when 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 tourism can get going. I know that's a little bit vague, but you know as as you've just seen with the vaccine rollout, things are changing all the time. Uh, you know, the Taoiseach has referred to before that. You would hope that you know to look again at um, at hotels and guest houses and, and and other accommodation from you know in in June time. So look, it, it is still you know we, we are still waiting to see what you know what happens with the cases, what happens with the vaccination, what the government advice then is. Um, Emer, I just want to put that point to you because it's clear speaking to Paul. Look, there's a huge amount of uncertainty. They can't tell their members. They can't tell hotels, B and Bs, restaurants. They can't tell them anything. There's just this vague hope. Maybe something in June. Maybe July. Yeah. Well, we're very much aiming towards a good summer. And uh, Dr. Ronan Glynn was before the Health Committee today, reiterating that and reiterating that that that's Neffet's aim as well, and that we're expecting to to reach that. Um, and that was even after the, the news of AstraZeneca had broke. So. You know, we have that as our aspiration. I think we all need that. We all need a good summer. Um, and no no more so than the people working in tourism, in hospitality. They want to get back to work. We as a government want to get them back to work. We just need to make sure it's safe to do so. Do you think the government is going to be in a position in May um, when the next you know tranche of reopenings is announced to give this sector clear indication of what's going to happen? We would hope so, but I suppose it depends on what happens between now and May. In our last announcement, we, ha we had kind of um, a staggered announcement, if you like, with a view to May and beyond. And we would definitely hope to be putting more framework and more clarity around that for, for people working in these industries. Um, Holly, you're from lovely West Cork, a gorgeous part of the country, but tourism is so important to businesses and to uh, people down there. Are they worried about the summer months? Are they planning for summer? Absolutely. And yeah, so important for the country as well when you consider that the hospitality sector employs 270,000 people. Um, and I think we can't underestimate how important it was for the recovery economically of this country after the last crash. So they absolutely need to support, be supported to help after the recovery of this class, class, crash. And you spoke about uncertainty there to, to Emer, and I, I suppose in relation to the reopening, understandably there's uncertainty in a pandemic and I think everybody accepts that and everybody in the sector accepts that. And the same in relation to foreign travel, we're not going to have a normal year. But there is certainty that can be provided and there is certainty that the industry have continuously called for. So to plan and forecast for reopening 
when they can. Things like a guaranteed extension of the, the reduction of VAT, for example, until 2025. If they knew that the employment wage subsidy scheme would continue from, for example, this long after reopening, mm. um, and an exemption on VATs. If they knew that VAT rates, if they are rates, sorry, if they knew all of that could continue, they could begin planning um, a reopening. And now the, the kind of addition of funding for outdoor spaces is very welcome. Mm. But of course, there was no engagement with the actual sector. So it's, it's varying different well, needs for small cafes. Emer, just no, very, very briefly to respond there. Let's look at what time. we are doing. We're helping 21,000 businesses in the hospitality sector keep, keep their doors open when they're closed, if you okay. like. Keep, keep things... Uh, but they keep, can't keep afford their to open no. and close okay. again. But, but so they need reassurances. Sorry to and what they need is, both, is we're grant aid. Run out of time and that's this what this government is giving them. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. My thanks to Fine Gills, uh, Emer Higgins and Social Democrat TD, Holly Cairns and to Fulcher Ireland's Paul Kelly and the rest of my guests this evening. Matt Cooper will be here tomorrow tomorrow night at 10pm and the first news bulletin of the day is on Ireland AM at 7 o'clock in the morning. Until then, good night and do stay safe. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. 